Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Jonah, and here Jim Jordan is going to further discuss some of the biblical theology and typology in the book. We do want to remind you about our new podcast, The Civitas Podcast. I have links down there in the show notes for you, both links to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can listen to that new show featuring Peter Lightheart and James Wood as we investigate post-liberalism and political theology. We really hope that you enjoyed this time of teaching, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is James Jordan discussing the book of Jonah. When we read uh, about a, a man named Dove, who crosses water in a ship, what are we supposed to remember? Noah and the flood, yeah. yeah. The, the, the Dove, the dove uh, Noah sends out a raven, you know, and it, it's willing to land on carrion, and that's no problem. He sends out the Dove, and the Dove doesn't find any place to rest her foot until she comes back with an olive branch. Now, in, in Romans 11, it says that we are grafted into the olive tree, doesn't it? And it talks about Israel being branches being taken out of the olive tree, and then they'll be grafted back in if they repent. We think about that as, a, as just something general, but you've got to remember, olive oil is what made the holy anointing oil that was sprinkled all over inside the tabernacle and which was used to anoint kings as messiahs. So if you're in the olive tree, you're in God's palace, which is covered with oil, and you're a king because you're anointed with oil. And not only that, but in in the temple, this, this will be a really great question to ask and make you feel dumb. What are the three kinds of wood used in the temple, Yuri? Cedar? No. Acacia is using the tabernacle. We've forgotten acacia. We're in the temple now, man. Cedar? Smells good. What's that? Gopher wood? That's that's the ark. There's a different wood for each period of history. Gopher wood is... Cypress wood and olive wood. The cypress wood is kind of on the outside. The cedar is in the temple and the olive wood is in the Holy of Holies. That's the most holy place. The great big wooden cherubim in there, wooden olive doors in there. So you get to Jesus and where is Jesus? He's on the Mount of Olives. He stands on the Mount of Olives when he condemns the temple because he's making a new temple. He goes to Gethsemane, which means... Olive press. So he's on the Mount of Olives. He ascends to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And now we're in the olive tree. And Jonah, a dove, is at the flood, the first thing in the new creation. And that same dove comes on Jesus as a sign of making a new creation. And the dove comes on us at Pentecost to put us in the olive tree and make a new creation. So Jonah is going out to the Gentiles to make a new creation. That's that's all the imagery here, to olivate them. 
Or something like that. I'm confused. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. We saw last time, the great city, city of Nimrod, his second city. And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me, just like at the Tower of Babel. Babylon, Babel was the first city, the first great city made by Nimrod. And Nineveh was his second great city. And just as the Tower of Babel came up to God, so the wickedness of Nineveh comes up before God. And God came down to Babel and scattered it. All right? God came down on Pentecost and starts drawing everybody together. This is kind of the beginning of a Pentecost here. Because instead of scattering the city of Nineveh and confusing their language, he brings them all into the kingdom where they speak the new language. So this is almost an anticipation of Pentecost here. Going to the second city and instead of judging it, saving it. But Jonah rose and fled, rose in order to flee to Tarshish, off in Spain, opposite direction from the Shekinah presence of the Lord. He runs away from God's presence. He will meet God's presence on the sea because God is present in the storm. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He goes down into the ship. It's kind of interesting there. Jonah is not going to be sitting on the outside of the ship on the deck, smoking a cigar and reading a book. As he flies, sails along, he's down inside. This is parallel to being inside the fish. Next chapter. This ship is not going to be a safe place for him. And the Lord, Yahweh, the one he's fleeing from, hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken up. This place that was going to be a safe place for Jonah isn't going to be safe. This is not a ship you want to be in, at least not yet. The sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his own God. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it from upon them. The sea was upon them. Remember, we first looked at this. You've got to think of the waves crashing down upon them. Okay? The ocean is coming over them. All thy billows come over me, as it says in the Psalms. But Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen into death sleep. This is that word for super-duper sleep, which is right next to death. Deep sleep, coma. The captain approached him and said, How is it that you're in this deep sleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Most smart move on the part of the captain here. Each man said to his mate, Come, let's cast lots so we may learn whose fault this is, that this calamity has come on us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they seem to kind of trust this. I mean, they are superstitious. And they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Where people are you? These guys were all shouting at once to him. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. Now, that's unusual. He doesn't say I'm an Israelite. I'm an Ephraimite. I am from Omri land. Remember, that's northern Israel. It's called Omri land. These sailors would have known about Omri land. I am a Hebrew. That takes us back to Abraham. That's the word. Abraham the Hebrew. And why did God set Abraham apart? To be a blessing to the nations. Those whom you bless, I will bless. 
Those who curse you, I will curse. Abram comes into the land of promise. He starts building altars. He starts making converts. Eshcol and Mamre become allies of Abraham. Then Abimelech and Phicol come and say, we like your God better than our God. Make the covenant with us. And the descendants of Abraham go to Egypt in the days of Joseph and convert the Egyptians. Hebrews are supposed to be those who travel and convert the Gentiles. So he kind of slips up here saying, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear Yahweh, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, these sailors know about They know about this God. They've heard about him. They're Phoenicians. They sail back and forth between North America and Joppa. We know this. Okay? They sail all around and they come over here to Israel and they, they know that these guys worship Yahweh. Big deal. I mean, they've got, they've got Zeus. They've got these different gods they have. But maybe some of them have heard that they, the Jews claim that Yahweh is not just their own personal, private, national God. But he's the God who made everything. And these guys, they all know that there is a God behind all the other gods. Everybody knows this. Missionaries go to Pago Pago or Bingo Bingo or Boingo Boingo. And, you know, they say the God who is behind all the other gods is the one who sent us. People say, oh, oh, yeah, the God who's behind all the other gods. The God, the God who never speaks. Uh, people know that there is the supreme God. They, they know it in their hearts. And now they are afraid. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? Are you crazy? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he told them. Okay, I'm fleeing from Yahweh. The private personal God of the land of Israel. I'm fleeing from him. He's mad at me. I want to go over here where there's a different God. Because the gods have got all the areas mapped out. And Yahweh, he's the God here. You remember the story in Kings where it said, uh, they fought against the Israelites, and the Israelites won. And the Syrians said, well, their God is a mountain God. That's why they won. And the Lord says, well, I'll show them. I'm a God of the mountains and not just a God of the coast. I mean, we know that Yahweh is a mountain God. He gave the law of Mount Sinai. And we go to high places, you know. All that. And so, mountain God. He says, I'll defeat them in the plain as well. So they have another battle, and the Israelites defeat the Syrians out on the open plain as well. Well, but ancient people thought this way. So he says, I'm fleeing from Yahweh. They say, well, okay. You can come on over here and find a new God. But then he says, the God of heaven who made sea and the land. <coughs> oh, we didn't know that uh, that's who Yahweh was. How could you have done this? So they had said to them, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us from upon us? Stop sweeping over us and, and starting to drown us. For the sea was becoming exceedingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm from upon you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men dug their oars into the water to return to land, but they could not. See, they're afraid to throw a servant of the God of heaven into the water. Uh, this doesn't sound right. The sea was becoming even stormier. 
Then they called upon Yahweh and said, We earnestly pray, Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, Yahweh, hast done as thou hast pleased. And they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Then the men feared Yahweh greatly, and they offered the sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. Whoa! Jesus dies and Gentiles are converted. Is that what happened here? Yeah. God's prophet thrown into the water as a sacrifice, and then Gentiles are converted. And they all believe. They fear the Lord greatly. And they have continued to fear their other gods a little bit here and there, you know. It's time to go to sea. Okay, let's take a duck and kill it and offer it to Poseidon. But we know that Yahweh is he's a supreme God. And if there's a storm on the sea, we're going to Yahweh. Okay. He's, he is the great God. And they made vows. They vowed to him. So look at this story here. On the page that I've given you, there's a nice chiastic structure. Jonah and the pagan sailors, that's on the second part of it. We look how this is put together, how skillfully it's put together, so that what Jonah says to them is at the center of the passage. You'll notice that's G. Uh, this is from David Dorsey's book, uh, The Structure of the Old Testament, and he's done yeoman's work in pulling all this kind of stuff together. We start off with A, where in verse 4, Yahweh hurls a great wind on the sea. He hectiles a uh, Wind upon the sea, El Hayam. And then matching that at the end, in verse 15, they picked up Jonah and hurled him, Hictel, Hectil, into the sea, El Hayam. And the sea becomes still. So that we have matching ideas here. Okay, God hurls the storm, and as a result, they hurl Jonah into the sea. The B section shows the sailors crying out to their gods in verse 1, 5a. The sailors were afraid and every man cried to his God. And as matched in verse 16, the men feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to him. And in verse 14, they have cried out to the Lord. Same words. Okay. Then we have. Sailors' frantic and futile efforts to save the ship by throwing cargo overboard is matched in C prime. Sailors' frantic and futile efforts to save the ship by rowing harder. D, Jonah does nothing to save the ship. D prime, Jonah finally acts to save the ship. Okay. Uh, and at the center, well, F, sailors demand an explanation from Jonah. The word is tell. Tell us what you did. Matching that on the other side, F prime, sailors demand an explanation from Jonah because what he had told. Okay, same words. Hagidah, Hegid. Those are the same. Hagid in Hebrew. And in the center, Jonah's testimony. I am a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So, we have, a, we have this there and back again form. And at the center of it is the word of God, which he is supposed to preach. He is supposed to go to the Gentiles and preach about Yahweh, God of heaven and earth. And when he does, they convert. That's what he was called to do. And he's going to do it in chapter 3. He will go to Nineveh and he will do the same thing. Now, before we stop today... 
Look up at the top of this page where, again, uh, Professor Dorsey, fine evangelical man, uh, has given us parallels in the book between chapters one and two and chapters three and four. So let's look at this together. And you see how I think the artistry of these books is important. And it's also important to show us the message. The parallels help us see the message even more clearly. In verse chapter one, Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. And Jonah rose to flee. Chapter three in verse two says it again. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. And this time, Jonah arose and went. Okay? There's a contrast. Then we have Jonah and the pagan sailors matched with Jonah and the pagan Ninevites. Look at this. It begins, Yahweh threatens judgment against the pagan ship. And it begins in the next section in chapter 3, Yahweh announces judgment against the pagan city. Jonah began to go through the city and say, yet 40 days Jonah will be overthrown. Okay? Same The sailors respond immediately and vigorously with conviction. And as parallel, the Ninevites respond immediately and vigorously with conviction. Verse 5, the people believe God. They call to fast, put on burial clothes, proclaim themselves dead from the least to the greatest or from the greatest to the least. Okay. Then in the, the next thing above, the sailors cry out to Jonah's God for mercy. It's the word Parat, okay? They cry out. And similarly here, the Ninevites cry out to Jonah's gods for mercy. Uh, where is that? Yes, verse 8. Both man and beast must be covered with burial clothes. Aha, uh-huh. so you see, this is like an ark. People and animals in the city. And let them cry out to God. Same word, for mercy, turn from his wicked way that God may turn and relent. And then we have the leader. The leader, the captain, participates in the effort, expressing hope that God may show mercy and relent. The captain says, call on your God. Maybe your God will be concerned about us and we will not perish. And similarly here, when the word reaches the king of Nineveh, he participates in the effort, expressing hope that God may show mercy and relent. Okay, that God, uh, that, uh, that God may turn and relent, verse 9. And in the end, Yahweh spares the contrite pagans on the ship. Yahweh spares the contrite pagans of the city. So it's parallel. We want to see the parallel. Okay, God is going out to these people. The ship is parallel to the city. Okay, both are feminine. You talk about a ship, you talk about she, right? And you talk about a city, you talk about she. The king of the city is the husband of the city. city is feminine. Okay? Jerusalem is a bride. Daughter Jerusalem. Daughter Zion. Daughter Babylon. Daughter Tyre. And similarly were ships. Ships are always female. And they have a, a girl on the front of the ship, right? Mermaid or something. With fangs. All right? Then we have, the, he has a contrast, and his contrast is in the language. Jonah's grateful, beautiful prayer. And Jonah prayed, Vayit Palel, and he boasts about Yahweh's love, Chesed, and he's grateful for his life, Hayah, and soul, Nafshi, that had been saved. 
Then contrast his mean-spirited, resentful prayer in chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Jonah prayed by Iqbalel. He complains about Yahweh's love, as said that the pagans have received. All right? And he resents the pagans that have been spared and wishes that his life, Yah, and his soul, Nafshi, would be taken. Now, we haven't looked at all that in detail, but you see, you can do this at home. This is such a long book. It's a short book. And you can sit down this afternoon and look at, at, at chapter 2. And it says, yeah, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the stomach of the fish. Verse 1. And he says, uh, at any rate, all the language is there and you can find it. And then the climax is the Lord's lesson for Jonah. Okay. The, uh, which... We've looked at before, and that's the plant story. And the plant is again. The plant comes up, shelters Jonah, protects him, and that's the message to Jonah. Hey, I'm raising up this city of Nineveh not just to save their souls, because I care about everybody, even the animals. But I'm also raising them up to be a shelter and protection for you and for my people. They will be the plant that grows up overnight. Just like the city converted overnight. Uh, and just as when the pagan, the pagan soldiers on the ship, when they saw what the story was, they wanted to try to save Jonah. And when the Ninevites become converted, they will want to be kind to God's people. All right. Any questions about this part of Jonah? Chapter one. When I come back, someday, we'll do chapter 2 and end it up and do Nahum and deal with Nineveh. Okay? Yes, sir. He says, I knew, I knew you were going to save him. I knew you were going to save him. Uh, his problem, I don't, you know, you've got the, the uh, niggardly view of Jonah, which says he was just a nationalist and didn't want to go and save anybody. And then what you have the evangelical view, which I think is, is correct, which is he knows that if God goes to the Gentiles, that's judgment on Israel. Because God had said, if you provoke me with that which is no God's, I will provoke you with that which no people. I'll turn away from you, and I'll go to one other people. And he doesn't want that to happen. Uh, that's what he's afraid of. And that's why Paul is the better Jonah, because Paul sees what Jonah doesn't see. Jonah goes to the Gentiles, the Gentiles convert, and that's going to be good for Israel. Jonah didn't see that far. He should have, because that's what happened with Joseph. Joseph went to the Gentiles, the Egyptians converted and then that was good for the other Israelites who got to move there. And Paul sees that in Romans 11. I'm going to the Gentiles, but that's going to be good for Israel because the Gentiles will then welcome Israel back into the olive tree. That's the dynamics. But so Paul is the better Jonah in that instead of saying, he says, yeah, I know if I go to the Gentiles, that's judgment on my own people. But the judgment isn't final. And that's what Jonah isn't seeing. So 
I think, but yeah, he's, it, it takes it to the end of the book, and we're not sure he ever saw it, but we can assume he did, since he's a prophet of the Lord. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.